Are they still following us? Yes. Is there one of them? Hmm? Is he looking at us? Hmm? Does he have just one hand on the steering wheel? Mm-hmm. When you hear something that sounds like a gunshot, drive. Welcome to episode three of Central Intelligence Cinema, our review of Man From U.N.C.L.E. And just a quick heads up, we're skipping the Intel report today because we're doing an extra special Intel report coming soon that will be an episode all on its own with lots of Bond talk, No Time to Die, and all kinds of other spy intel. There's some really crazy stuff kind of going on right now, and it seems necessary to do a whole podcast around it. So that will be coming up very, very soon. But for now, we bring you the man from uncle. Beg your pardon, forgot to knock. Welcome to the CIC, initiating security clearance. My name is Napoleon Solo. Bond. James Bond. Ethan Hunt. Felix Leiter. Media Kuriaki. Identity confirmed. Now, pay attention, 007. Welcome to Central Intelligence Cinema, a podcast dedicated to spy movies and secret agent pop culture. Your mission, should you decide to accept it. Remember, nothing ever goes according to plan. Tom, what do you think you're doing? Even the British handouts. Do you expect me to talk? Yeah, baby! <laughs> Recorded from an Italian satellite construction facility, because that's a thing in 1963. <laughs> Welcome to the Central Intelligence Cinema Podcast. I'm Jason, and with me, as always, the Napoleon Solo to my Ilya Kuriakin. Mr. Ben Esslinger. That is so sweet. Thank you, Jason. Of course. And welcome to the CIC, episode three. We made it. Woo! Woo! Look at that. That's cool. And we're uh, today we're going to be covering the United Network Command for Law and Enforcement, otherwise known as the Man from Uncle. Woo! The 2015 Guy Ritchie version. So that should be pretty cool. Well, <laughs> I mean, I, did you watch the same movie I watched? I'm not I, really well, sure. you know, that, that's what makes for a good podcast is slightly differing opinions. Indeed. <laughs> there will still be an amazing podcast. <laughs> indeed, indeed. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, jump straight into this review. We recently discovered the existence of an international criminal organization with ties to former Nazis. Rumor has it they built an atom bomb. We have no choice but to work together to infiltrate this organization. We'll leave you two to get acquainted. Napoleon Solo. The CIA's most effective agent. Ilya Kuriaki. KGB, the youngest man to join in our best within three years. America is teaming up with Russia. Things could get a little messy. So, Man From U.N.C.L.E., released in 2015, directed by Guy Ritchie, mostly known for Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, Snatch, Sherlock Holmes, the uh, Iron Man version, <laughs> and the newly released The Gentleman. Ritchie's signature style is all over this one as well. I was a big, big fan of Guy Ritchie in the 90s, so I was really excited to see this one. 
apparently this one has not gotten better with age, according to Jason. No, <laughs> it has not. But, uh, yeah. And I will say that this does feel like a Guy Ritchie movie where he had some very specific ideas for scenes, but no complete story. Yes, exactly. It, 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 he was just like, you know, I, I have this idea in my head. They're going to be on the back of a boat, and then... And then one of them's going to fall off, and they're going to swim to shore, and then they're just going to watch with delight as the other one is being chased by the bad guys, and he eats a sandwich. Right. And that's going to be a cool scene. I don't know how I'm going to put it in there. But, but I I'm, want that scene. But I want that scene. Yeah. It, that, that is, unfortunately, the whole thing. There's some brilliant moments Yeah. in what is pretty much just a basic spy movie that anybody could have made. That, that's the one thing I will say is it's such a generic plot. It's so just, it's a nuke. It's a, mm. mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's in Cold War Germany. It's Absolutely. it's in the 60s. We got it's, a guy with a suit. We got a Russian guy he has to work with. I mean, right. that's none of these have, maybe they're all being done because the show came out in 1963 and it's had some time to settle in. But, right. you know, in this day and age, there's nothing that's advancing this movie in any way other than just being fun to watch. Right. Because it is 2015 when this was released that, you know, a lot of people maybe hadn't gone and seen a bunch of Bond movies and they hadn't necessarily known that that was a well-known plot for about a gazillion spy movies already. So I think most people that were going to watch this movie were going to watch it because it was a Guy Ritchie movie or because Henry Cavill was in it. Yeah. Maybe just a, couple Lone Ranger fans. <laughs> all, yeah, because that's all the fans there were that movie were a couple. So yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. They're like, where's Johnny Depp? <laughs> also written by Guy Ritchie, along with Lionel Wigram, Jeff Kleeman, and David C. Wilson. Uh, Sam Rolfe is also credited since the movie is based on the TV series, slightly. Um, granted, it's basically an origin story right. for The Men From U.N.C.L.E. As far as uh, the photography, John Mathiason, known for Gladiator and X-Men First Class, as well as a bunch of U2 videos, apparently. I thought it kind of looked like they basically just did the uh, 60s Instagram filter for the whole thing. <laughs> it just had those kind of bright, washed-out colors. Yeah. I mean, I liked it. I kind of liked the 60s vibe that they were trying to do. I do think he was overindulgent with some of the stuff that he did. Well, I'll tell you one thing that along that vein, I, I, he had some good music choices in the movie. And that, I know we'll talk about the music later, yeah. but some of the music didn't seem to fit the locale that it was in. Right. That's true. You know, couldn't we have picked some kind of like early sixties German something or other yeah. when they were in Germany and maybe there wasn't any, I, I mean, think, it's I Germany. Feel like, I feel like he played way too hard into the, Italian aspect of it. Yeah. Because it felt like that permeated almost the entire movie, even though there was just a a smidget of it that was going on there. Right. Eh. Eh. (laughs) Editing as well. Very much a a Guy Ritchie edited movie, just quick, fast cutting and lots of fancy effects and all that sort of thing. But then again, that's why people go and watch Guy Ritchie movies. Yeah. So as far as numbers go, not good. (laughs) <laughs> not good they had a budget of 75 million they brought in a total that's both domestic and international 107 which means if you really think about it they probably took a loss because you incorporate marketing and all the other stuff that they probably didn't even list they probably took a loss on it which is why 
you will never ever see a sequel is <laughs> no matter how hard army hammer tries to get one going because he has these he's there was a, a number of articles where he was talking with the original writer trying to get something going huh. do you suppose that's why he hasn't been in any movies or anything because he's been really trying so hard to get the man from uncle two going he's put all of his energy into it well <laughs> i mean he was in that in that indie film that got some fanfare but yeah, but he but he hasn't done anything <laughs> hasn't done anything big since uh-uh. since lo- well no since yeah since this so well, well I will tell you way back in the day two thousand eight not that far back mm-hmm. but when they had that writer strike there was actually a Justice League movie that was supposed to be filmed by um, George Miller of Mad Max fame yes and Army Hammer had been cast to play Bruce Wayne oh that would have been good obviously Batman on so. Every time they come together and they're smoldering at each other, I just keep thinking, why wasn't he Batman instead of Ben Affleck? Oh, what a good shout because that would have been. they had so much screen chemistry between the two of them yes. that yes. I would have felt like maybe that I like Ben Affleck. I'd have been okay with Ben Affleck in a Batman-only movie. Right. But he just, I don't know. Army Hammer, though? Come on. Well, and also, you got to strike when the lightning's hot. And yeah. Ben Affleck is was not, he still isn't really looked upon no. real favorably in Hollywood at the moment. So if you're going to make something that's going to get yeah. some traction, I, I feel like Army Hammer would have been a really good idea. And, and certainly longer for the franchise. <laughs> yeah. But you know what probably happened was, is they like, Henry, you have any ideas? And he's like, Army Hammer, perfect. And they're like, you know, we called him. He's trying to get this man from Uncle Two sequel going. He said, I can't dedicate any time or energy into this at all. I have to get Man from Uncle Two made. And Henry Cavill was just rolling his eyes like, oh. Pretty much. Just give it up, dude. As he um, combed his CGI removed mustache. Oh, my gosh. That whole fiasco. Holy cow. I'll save that for when we cover that Mission Impossible movie. And we could could just move on to the rest of this. Yes, yes. So... (laughs) Getting back into music, <laughs> Daniel Pemberton did the score, who did mostly TV prior to this, and then he went on to do a couple more Guy, <laughs> Guy Ritchie movies. And, uh, you know, I did like it. I see what you're saying, though, that it could have had some more German influence, but I like that cool 60s jazz flute. Obviously, since our theme song is kind of based around it. Exactly. When I say the criticism was that the, the actual music pieces he used from the 60s, like when uh, Gabby's dancing and everything. Yeah, yeah, Just yeah. didn't seem appropriate for Europe. Yeah, especially when Gabby's dancing, because that's like a R&B. Exactly. You know, like a soul, old school, you know, 60s soul, but from America. Right. So that was the gripe I had. The flute thing's hilarious, because my wife, when she watches with me, my wife played the flute in high school. Uh-huh. She's like, do you have any idea how hard that is? I'm like, no, I didn't play the flute. <laughs> She's like, you have to like be hovering over it and be like, it's just like I know, it's it's I'm, I'm showing you how to play a flute on a podcast. Visualize. Um, We're gonna need cameras soon. Yeah, but the funny thing was, man, she's out there. She's watching the movie. She's working on something on the computer, and every time the flute comes on, I'm like, "There's your flute." <laughs> so yeah, so that was kind of fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to get into actors, we've got Napoleon Solo played by Henry Cavill of. Everything fame, Superman, mm-hmm. The Witcher, you know, pick your poison. I do think there's a couple moments where it kind of feels like he actually is trying to emulate Robert Vaughn. Agreed. From the original. There's this moment where he's sitting in the hotel 
It's when he's flirting with that with the hotel hostess. Mm-hmm. And the angle that they shot him at even makes him kind of look like Robert Vaughn. He really pulled off Robert Vaughn's Napoleon solo, I think, better than Army Hammer did. Oh, for yeah, Kiraka. for but, sure. You know, Army David Hammer. McCallum is not anything like Army Hammer. So right. that would have been next to impossible. But I even think the accent he was affecting, mm-hmm. he was trying to... Oh, be- he was definitely channeling 60s actor, right. you know, 60s, 70s American actor voice. That- right. <laughs> well, and Robert Vaughn had a very uh, definitive cadence in how he spoke. So he had a little bit... He wasn't doing it all the way through, but he had some moments where he was more... Vaughn-esque, for yes. lack of a better term. Like that part when they're in the uh, park when Solo and Ilya are, are sitting together and he's like, and the best of his class or you know, mm-hmm. whatever he says there. <laughs> that part right there, he sounds just like exactly. Robert Vaughn. It's pitch perfect there. So what do you, just real quick, just on an aside, I have yep. to ask you, what do you think about the idea of Henry Cavill as Bond? No. No? No. Is he just too known? Is he too no, well known? I, I don't think it's too known. I don't think... Is he too beefy? He's too pretty. I mean, he, if you want to go Roger Moore, fine, you can get pretty. but A little I, too perfect, a little I, too... I think he would have been a good Bond in... He would have been a good Bond for the Brazen era. He might even have been a good one for the Timothy Dalton era in the 80s. Mm-hmm. But I don't think people want a pretty Bond anymore. Right? You want a pretty Bond, you go see MI5, 7, 18, 42, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, Tom Cruise, he's the pretty Bond. Well, people want. I think people want the angry. I don't. Scrapper. I don't. I don't know if I agree with you. Okay. See, well, I think this people does. Okay. Well, see, I think a lot of people are sort of tired now of Daniel Craig's Bond, and they want something lighter now because we've had five movies, or we will have five movies, of a serious Bond with a serious scowl. <laughs> That's more physical than he's ever been before. Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily the prettiest Bond of of the bunch. I mean, he's handsome, but he's not, you know, he's not Pierce Brosnan. No, he's Sean Connery handsome, not Roger Moore handsome. Right. You know, he so, looks more like a just, you know, a bloke from off the street rather than, right. you know, hello, how you mm, Right. Yes. So I, I don't know. I mean, I think the older generation would want to see a Bond that's similar to to Daniel Craig, I think younger generations might be looking for something lighter again. So yeah, I I, I think there may be some credence to that with like the success of the Kingsman films and everything, right. which kind of are that campier Bond mm-hmm. feel. Although Taron Egerton or whatever his name is, he is yeah. no James Bond. No, but he I I like him as an actor. I like him. But... I like him as an actor. I like him as that character. Right. I, I don't, he's no James he Bond. He's no James Bond. No. So if you were going to say, yeah, we're going to go to the lighter idea of Bond, you know, a little more humor, a little thing else, Cavill could pull it off, I think, for sure. Yeah. But if you're going to go as just that bloodthirsty killer, dead eyes, right, do what needs to be done, he's not the Get the job guy. done, right. He's not the guy. Yeah. I think you have a point there because I think, I got to think the next Bond is going to be a little thinner and less bulky. Yeah, that's his other thing. He's just... Well, he wasn't always a big dude. Henry Cavill? Yeah. He, he got that way for Superman and then sort of, I like this. He's like, oh, this is fun. Well, <laughs> I imagine if he thought he had to play Superman again, he'd want to go through all that stuff over again. All over again. Like Chris Hemsworth, like, I'm big, I'm small, I'm big, I'm small. <laughs> um, but I, I saw him say somewhere he doesn't stay in that same shape. 
Right. But he keeps himself at that level because he liked it so much. Yeah. So he's doing it as a personal choice, which is great. Right. Um, but there's never been a bond that size. <laughs> oh my god we'll totally leave this in <laughs> we are a professional operation we don't mm-hmm. want anybody to think any differently right in no way would my dogs be barking in the middle of our podcast not at all well <laughs> i digress <laughs> little fun fact tom cruise was actually originally cast as solo but dropped out to focus on mi rogue nation so i'm kind of thankful that he did. I am too, but does that also bring up the thing, can pretty James Bond then play pretty Napoleon solo? Indeed, indeed. Yeah, yeah I think Tom Cruise should just stay in his lane with spy movies because yes, he's please. got a good thing going. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's kind of Aldi now. I mean, granted, he's got the... 57. I mean, granted, he has the power of Scientology to <laughs> keep him alive yeah, until well, he's 230. Plus, yeah, plus a picture in his attic that does all the aging for him. <laughs> but... He, his, he, the Ethan Hunt character is his lane. Yes. That's the guy he plays really well. Right. The, I know everything, but I still manage to shoot myself in the foot and I don't know how I keep doing this kind of character. Right. Which I don't think could be Napoleon Solo or James Bond for that matter. But, and I also think now that I'm thinking about it, I think that Tom Cruise would have been a cringeworthy Napoleon Solo because he would have brought back that awful grin that he would always, uh, you know what I'm talking about? The terrifying eyelet or the dead eye smile. It's just, yeah, he's yeah. where he's just like the top gun smile where he's uh-huh. just so cocksure and it's just so annoying and so much so, so that, grating. That, what's his name? Iceman. Oh, uh, Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer has to go up to him every time he does that and bite his teeth <laughs> every time. Yeah, so I, I feel like he would have ended up falling into that territory if he was Napoleon Solo. Agreed. Especially in a Guy Ritchie movie where it's kind of, you're being a little silly. You know it's, you're, right. you're self-aware of being silly in this movie. Yeah, so it, it was good. He stuck where he needed to be in. Henry came in, did his thing. Boom. Good choice. So then we got Ilya Kuryakin as Army Hammer, who I think is good. I don't. I don't know how much I buy his accent. I didn't buy it at all. It's terrible. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's it's it. I I put in my notes. Did he learn how to speak Russian from Boris Badnov from the Rocky and Bullwinkle show? <laughs> it, it is pretty. It's pretty rough. And I I feel like if he would have just let up on that, if he would have pumped the brakes a bit mm-hmm. and tried to do a much subtler accent. Yeah, was, this is this thing here with the thing and the blood. <laughs> Russian, Russian architect would never allow wife to do a thing with blah, 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 blah. Yes. He sounded kind of more Count Dracula than he sounded uh, Russian KGB agent. Yeah. So there's that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I thought Alicia Vikander, I thought she might have, done the best job of all three of them mm-hmm. as far as the main roles. Her role as Gabby, I thought she did great. Although it was interesting. So she's German, right? I think is she's she German I think or is she's, she American? I think she's Swedish. Okay. I'm Because I don't remember or what... Or Norwegian, one of those weird ones okay. that's up at the top of Europe, but nobody Because I don't recall her... I don't recall her having any accent at all in this movie. She did. It did was, she? But it... It sounded, and again, maybe that's why I thought she was did the, the best, because I didn't notice it. If I would have noticed it, it probably would have been bad. I think she was just speaking with her normal accent, <clears throat> which sounded German enough that nobody wanted to press the issue. Yeah, it's a pass. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> They're like, you know, we got to work with Army over here. <laughs> and Jared Harris, what did he come in with? It, <laughs> Henry Cavill was the only convincing one because he'd been doing Superman long enough. He right. actually had a decent American accent. And I do think it's funny that everyone in this movie is using a different accent from their own, except for Hugh Grant. <laughs> except for Hugh Grant, <laughs> who seemed to purposely mispronounce everybody's name in this movie. Uh, Mr. Kitty Aiken. <laughs> Kitty Aiken. Kitty. Kitty. Kitty Aiken. Napoleon. Napoleon Solo. <laughs> so on, on that note of Hugh Grant, speaking of scenes that were probably just thought of and shoehorned in, Lines, too. Specific lines in this movie just felt like they were just sort of thrown in there because Guy Ritchie had thought of it and was like, that's a funny line. I got to put that in there somewhere. <laughs> this is going to be great. That whole, that whole, even though it's really fun to, to hear him say it, the for being a special agent, you're not having a very special day. <laughs> like, that line is not, that's a retort to something stupid. Right. It's Ilya looking out the window and seeing an aircraft carrier for the first time. For the apparently. first time, yeah, like a like a Russian KGB agent wouldn't know what a friggin' aircraft carrier is, right? And then Hugh Grant saying that it's like, eh, really, you just you're just looking for a reason to say that. <laughs> you're just looking for a reason to say that line. Part of me hopes it was actually Hugh Grant who insisted on that being in there because he just didn't like Army Hammer and just wanted to keep digging at him the whole time. <laughs> Then we've got some of the other characters. We've got Victoria, who is played by Elizabeth uh, Debicki, who was in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and The Great Gatsby. I I think I did see Guardians of the Galaxy 2, but I don't remember it very well. She was the queen so, of the golden people. Was she evil? Was she, she was the bad guy. Yeah. Well, she wasn't the bad guy. She's the one that they stole the battery from at the beginning uh, and okay. sent everybody after them in their little video game spaceships. Sure. Hey, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> um, and then we've got Waverly, of course, played by Hugh Grant, which I did like him in in the role. He's I th- actually my favorite part of the movie. Yeah. 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 Most believable character. Brought some kind of grounding almost yeah, I, to it. To me, he was the James Bond character oh, in absolutely. the movie. Absolutely. It was like James Bond went into middle management. <laughs> he was like, I'm done. I'm done with this in the right. field. Now I'm just going to train these young pups. And- exactly. Well, then they even go through the thing of making him the shipping manager of British oil. Right. Which I'm like, that definitely harkens back to Bond's cover yes, identity. Universal exports. Exactly. Yeah. So there were a lot of things there, but it just, I, all I kept thinking is, yeah, I think I'm going to stay home and shag money, Penny. <laughs> I think I'll take M's job. Mm, sounds good. <laughs> and then we've got, holy cow. Uncle Rudy, played by Sylvester Groth. Wow. Holy crap. This guy, that is a role. And apparently he's known for playing horrible Nazi monster shitheads. So, I mean, he did his job. I Master mean, of his craft. Yeah, makes you wonder a little bit. Why was he pigeonholed into that? Uh, yeah. He gave me that vibe of uh, Tote from the Raiders of the Lost Ark, that actor. Tote. The, Remind the, me. the Gestapo agent that gets the the oh he just gave me that sort of like creepy yes. German vibe. Yes. 
Good evening, Fraulein. <laughs> we are not thirsty. <laughs> yeah, that guy. Let me show you what I am used to. <laughs> and then we've got uh, Sanders, the uh, CIA boss, played by Jared Harris. Played by Jared Harris. Jared, Jared Harris. <laughs> Who apparently was in uh, the uh, show Chernobyl? Yeah, he was in Chernobyl. 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 He's been in like he was in uh, the second Sherlock Holmes by Guy Ritchie. He played Moriarty. Oh, okay. So he's he's kind of a a common player for Guy Ritchie. Indeed, I thought he did all right. I mean, he was just sort of your common run of the mill generic. Yeah, he was the guy that the moved mold. the plot along. He mm-hmm. was basically exposition. Yeah. So, tropes. Really, the whole plot of the movie is a trope. Indeed. Not much more to say about that. I thought it was very Spy Who Loved Me stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, The idea of kind of working with your enemy and right up until the point where they're no longer useful and then your job is to kill them. Yep. Very Spy Who Loved Me, except for two guys. But, hey, maybe it's still the Spy Who Loved Me. We don't know. We don't know. And, of course, the villain is a Nazi sympathizer who's the head of a private organization dedicated to crime and terror. That they don't actually name, but that has a name in the TV show. Right. Thrush. Right. So I think because it is an origin story, they were trying to avoid bringing in everything at once. Yeah. Maybe they were trying to hold on to things in case they actually did do well at the box office, which did not happen. Army Hammer's still working it, though. (laughs) He's uh, hammering away at it. (laughs) As it were. (laughs) Ugh. So they basically created an origin story for Solo and Ilya. And I did like the fact that they're initially enemies as opposed to just sort of being friends all the time, like in the TV show, where it's just sort of, oh, yeah, they've always been friends somehow. And yet... Well, you know, it was really the... uh, Kirakin's a sidekick in the TV show. Yeah, and that is a huge plus to the the movie, the fact that they put them on equal grounds. Right. Can't really get away with that now. Well, maybe you can. <laughs> in 2020, you can, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe in like, well, maybe in 2015, you could have got away with it. <laughs> I don't know. I think anyway. it's definitely an improvement, though. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So there's no pre-title. However, the initial scene where Napoleon gets Gabby out of East Berlin probably could have served as one. Yeah. And I do kind of wonder if they tried it and it was just sort of an editing decision or maybe they wanted to separate themselves from the Bond franchise and they didn't want to go into the same similar territory and always have a... Yeah, that would be my guess. Because they weren't looking going out to make a James Bond movie. Right. They were definitely making a period piece using a TV show as its base right. and style over everything else. <laughs> <laughs> so the title graphics were pretty cool. I, I did like the fact that they used a montage of historical events to sort of give you an idea of where we are, what's going on. We're basically two years after the Cuban Missile Crisis and Kennedy's still in office. So we get kind of an idea of that. Although I'll sure say this, that upon first viewing, I certainly didn't absorb all of that. Because there's an awful lot that goes up on the screen. Oh, yeah. During that section, it's like, I don't know. (laughs) Like, you're just sort of like, yes, it's 60s and Germany and... Berlin Wall, spies, oh <laughs> Instagram filters, and <laughs> well, and did when so when they when they first cut into it, did you uh, when he was going into the checkpoint at the very beginning? It's mm-hmm. very stylized at the at the get go. But when he walks in, did you not get the same live vibe with like, huh? Was this what it looked like in Atomic Blonde? Because this would be the same exact area, but twenty some odd years later. You know, I hadn't put that together. 
surprisingly, considering we just did Atomic Blonde. Right. Like, you know, it's it's just that movie is shot so much differently, and it's absolutely and it's treated. The film is treated so much differently. The color grading and everything. It's like I didn't actually think of that, but yes, <laughs> to that point, yes. Yeah. So, and I thought it it looked like what that checkpoint from Atomic Blonde would have looked like in '63. So, yeah. Maybe maybe there's like a set that they have in Germany. I mean, they do share sets all the time. Like, movies share sets right. all the time. But, you know, people are going to use maybe that from stuff time left to time. Over. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, maybe it's, a, maybe it's a memorial. I don't know. I guess I'll have to go to Germany to find out. Right. <laughs> I'll, and I'll report back in after that happens, kids. All right. Sounds good. Just <laughs> you let me know. <laughs> so we get right into the action. Solo arrives in East Berlin at the checkpoint. And, you know, something happens, but we don't know right away that something happens. So then he has a little, he takes a number of cars and trains and kind of secretly, even though he's still being followed, finds his way to uh, Gabby, who's in the chop shop. And uh, she's underneath the car doing her thing. I do kind of like when she rolls out and she's got the grease on her face and everything. I don't know. Comments on the suit. Yeah. You look important. (laughs) (laughs) At least your suit does. (laughs) So (laughs) that's kind of cool. And there's a lot of banter between the two of them and the other thing that struck me about it when i was watching it especially in repetition was how much exposition happens in this very very short Mm -hmm. period of time when they're at the chop shop because you find out just about everything you know she's the abandoned daughter of a german rocket scientist who defected to the u.s and then he suddenly disappeared and solo explains that he's gone missing and that they need gabby to help find him they know that gabby can call on uncle rudy creepy ass uncle rudy creepy ass uncle rudy so <laughs> and solo explains to gabby that he has perfected a process that expedites the enrichment of uranium for nuclear weapons so in addition to that, during that whole exposition, then we even have time to quick flashback to him realizing that he's been bugged or that's what it is. He opens a suitcase and then he sees the bug and he's like, how did I get that? And then you get a quick right. flashback. Which is all over that movie with, yeah. the, with the flashbacky stuff. And particularly at the end, it was so dumb that they were flashing back to things that you'd just seen 30 seconds before. Right. Did not like that. Well, and it was such a gimmick, too, when they did the whole talking, but you don't hear what they're saying. Yeah, I didn't like just, that either. Just, for the, just, just so you could flash back to it again right. and actually hear what she says. Right. Like you said, like five minutes later or whatever it was. Not a good plot device. So, so. <laughs> I do not approve of your choices, Guy Ritchie. And I feel like he has done stuff like that before in some of his other movies, but to better success. So... Because I feel like Snatch does a lot of that. That's fair. So, because there's a lot of flashing back in that one. But then again, like, that was also made in a much different era for movie making. Right. Where I think people would have received it a lot better back then. Well, Versus I, now, it just feels like, what what are you doing? I would expect something like that in a movie that had a more developed plot where you were actually invested in what they were saying in the car. Rather right. than just going, what's wrong with the sound on my TV? Because right. that's what I did the first time I saw it. I'm just like, oh, oh, yeah. oh, plot device. Okay. Right. Music's still playing, so there is uh-huh. some sound coming yeah, out. Yeah, I'm like, what? Uh. So, yeah. So, at that point, Solo sort of explains to her that if we don't get out of here, these guys are encasing the building right now. So, we, we need to get the hell out of here 
unless you want to hang out and get tortured by KGB agents right. or I think whatever. he specifically said, have your toenails pulled off, right. which I thought was excellent. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they leave. A car chase ensues. It's very stylish. That part's kind of fun. It is. And that's the thing about Guy Ritchie is, I was going to say this for later, but I'm just going to say it now. I feel like Guy Ritchie is to style that David Leitch is to action choreography. So you've got, you know, in Atomic Blonde or John Wick, you've got David Leitch using his ability to create these fantastic fight scenes to make up for plot points that are not standing on sturdy ground. And Guy Ritchie does that with style. He creates mm-hmm. these very stylish moments that he's hoping will gloss over the fact that his plots aren't always That's fair. fantastic. I mean, sometimes he puts out a great... I loved Snatch. That's one of my favorite. Mm-hmm. That's probably my favorite Guy Ritchie movie that he's ever made. Yeah, but both I the Sherlock seen, Holmes movies, I love them. Yeah, For, I, haven't, I haven't seen The Gentleman yet, but I, I do want to go see that. Yeah, and it looks like it's going to be epic. I just don't think, again, those all have good plots that you're invested in what's happening. And this one just feels like I'm watching a pretty spy movie. There's nothing wrong with that. But right. the level of ooh and ah that he's putting into it is trying to elevate it beyond what it even has the potential to be elevated to. Right, and watching an ooh-ah movie does not age well, especially with multiple viewings. And particularly multiple viewings back to back to back. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) So the lesson here is, kids, don't make a podcast about movies you like. (laughs) I told my wife, I said, this is a movie I would probably watch every 10 years. So since I've watched it twice in a row, I'm probably good until I retire. (laughs) So while they're having this fancy car chase, I will say, actually, before we go any further i do like the scene at the intersection where they both pull up at the, st- <laughs> at the stoplight yes where he's just like you don't have to say anything just go mm-hmm just just you know. um yeah is only one hand on the steering wheel exactly <laughs> that was another robert vaughn moment that yes, he went into when he was in the much. back of the car right when you hear something that sounds like a gunshot drive Although that sounds, <laughs> I, I went into Johnny Carson there for a second. <laughs> All of a sudden, I was like, well, "That's wild stuff." <laughs> Drive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Drive, sir. You are correct, sir. Did you like the part when anytime <laughs> the window in her car got rolled roll down, it was, yeah. Oh my god, it was just way too. God, they just went overkill with that. That was kind of the slide whistle of this movie. Right? Yeah, very much so. <laughs> I very much agree with that. So then they do that sneaky, sneaky little thing where... She drives on the sidewalk. She drives on the sidewalk, and there's a car between them that's parked, and she sort of backs up while he drives forward. Which was awesome. That was a good little moment. It was. Yeah. So they sort of sneak past, and then Solo shoots... You never see if Solo actually shoots him or the car or what he shoots, but then the car crashes, which we then quickly find out that he crashed basically on purpose to throw them off. Right. And, and because he knew Napoleon Solo was too dumb to go make sure he was actually dead. Or something, or, or just or too cocksure of himself. That that's the most likely explanation, but yeah. honestly. 
Right. It's not dead until you see the body. And it might be a slight vehicle for the fact that we then quickly go into the sort of flashback to him getting the briefing on who Solo is yes. and all of his information. <laughs> and suddenly we find out who Solo is, that he was a, a thief. And uh, now he's basically working for the CIA in lieu of prison and all that sort of thing. So so it could have just been a vehicle for that. It, it could have been. Well, and, yeah, I mean... I mean, I guess they could have found anything to like find a pause for. I suppose you could make the argument that because he's not a spy, that he just made it because oh, I shot him and he crashed, so he must be done. Right. Maybe a little bit of lack of experience on his part. Sure. I don't know. You could justify it all you want, but at the end of the day, if I'm shooting somebody because they're trying to kill me, I'm going to go make sure they're dead before I leave. That's same. true. Of course, he didn't know he was going to turn into... It. It. Right. <laughs> which which is the next part of this, which is so good, where where they're driving and she's like, you might want to turn around. And he's like, you can't be serious. <laughs> and then just referring to him as it. Yeah. He's trying to stop the car. <laughs> <laughs> so then they never quite lose Kiriakin, but they sort of find their way. They smash their way into this tiny little alleyway that doesn't actually fit a car. And on purpose. Of, and of course, it's on purpose. And of course, Solo knows exactly what he's doing. Of course he does. He's like, just roll down your window and we go up here and... <laughs> Make a left at the window. That's yeah. what he says. Yeah. I'm so fancy. Indeed. <laughs> so they make it up to the top of the roof. And there's a truck on the other side from the CIA that's waiting for them. And they shoot the big old grappling hook across the, the minefield, which... I'm trying to think about that in Germany, 1963. Would that actually work? Could they actually pull that off without somebody seeing that? I feel like machine guns would have been firing immediately. Right. Because, well... The you moment, know, the no moment one, you've you, got a truck rolling up on the other side of that wall... Yeah. I got to think somebody's somebody going, think so. what the but hell is that? Kiriakin did say... He gave them orders to not shoot the girl. And so maybe needed her. Right. So maybe that's what kept everybody from doing it. Notice that when he landed, though, he didn't land on a mine. So that was really good timing on his part. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. What were they trying to How say? How lucky for him. Were there maybe not actually mines there? Oh, yeah. The, mm-hmm. the, there's that, too. Mm-hmm. Or it could have just been a whole plot. Yeah, <laughs> or a plot, plot hole. hole. Probably that, too. <laughs> I do like how he managed to get the grappling hook over on the first shot. First Because first we're shot. Americans, man. Damn it. That's right. Right. I mean, right on the exact perfect place. Mm-hmm. They had thought all this through, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. So then they, uh, he's like, hug me. And then they zip line across. <laughs> and then they make their way into the uh, safe house. Yeah. So that's fun. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, Gabby's complaining while he's making risotto with truffles. Right. He did promise her a glamorous hotel. Indeed, indeed. So there we meet Solo's boss, Sanders, who explains the stakes and the fact that Solo is not done with his time served in the CIA. Um, he sort of reminds him, he's like, well, you can always go back to prison you know, right. if you don't like. And don't forget that I've been looking the other way yeah. with, with all of your other side hustles. <laughs> Don't think that because I'm turning a blind eye. (laughs) I'm George Patton. (laughs) And then from there, the next day, Sanders and Solo. Well, that's the other thing that I found kind of interesting is then the next day, Gabby is just sort of gone. We don't. Yeah, she sort of disappears for a little bit. Yeah, we just sort of don't know what happens to her right away. But the next day, Sanders and Solo, they walk through this German park and stop at the 
strangest green bathroom I have ever seen. And it's fancy. It's very, very fancy. It's a very fancy green bathroom that's a public restroom. Yeah. Maybe public restrooms were a lot nicer in the 60s than now. It's a German bathroom, so... Well... You know how Germans are. (laughs) Yes. Can I just say, though, right now, Mm -hmm. I despise fight scenes in bathrooms. Mm. Because... And it's not for the obvious reasons, right? You know, guys get your head put in the toilet, whatever. Right. It's that they do them in regular bathrooms. So I always have to ask, how clean did they make this bathroom before they had people putting their faces on floors and doors and toilets? And I just, I'm like, ugh, it's gross. I would never want to get into a fight in a men's room. (laughs) So are you talking about? Shooting in a men's room, like shooting, oh, shooting no. the scene, or just yeah, yeah, the... yeah, shooting the scene in an actual men's room, not one that's in a Hollywood soundstage, but right. like in this one, which was clearly a real, a real bathroom, right outside that people walking in a park use, and they're fighting and wrestling around on the floor. It's in a park. Drunk people go to parks. I hope and they're up on their shots. That's all. That's, I know. that's, that's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> just, yeah, yeah. No matter how much you clean it. Some of that no. shit ain't coming off. No, quite literally. <laughs> so then we have the little scuffle inside the weird green bathroom before they both find out that, that they're going to be working together. Right. And suddenly the KGB boss walks in and they're both looking up like, hmm? I did like the little part where he tells him not to kill him in Russian. Yeah. And Cavill's like, uh, what is that supposed to mean? Right. What does that mean? And Jared's like, it means they say what he said. Da, 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 da. He's like, no, I know what he said. Right. What, what does, does it, it mean? mean? Right. It was a nice little subtle piece to the fact that he's multilingual and yeah. and that a little something for the character that yeah. so much potential. <laughs> and then in that same scene, you've got that awful double entendre before the fight begins. Oh my god. <laughs> where he's like It's gonna be hard for you to swallow. Yeah, this may taste a little bitter <laughs> <laughs> or something something like that. It's just... Cavill's look is like where are you going with this? <laughs> <laughs> is this about to be... <laughs> are we going into a different movie than I thought I was in? <laughs> Am I going to have to talk to HR after this? <laughs> <laughs> it was like, you know, ooh, Mr. Bond. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All this physical stuff. <laughs> so then, after that, they we suddenly were in this cafe near the park. And they're basically told that they're working together that their mission is to try and get this disc along with Gabby's father, this disc that holds all the research for how to do this uranium enrichment. You mean the list? Well, it's not. <laughs> I know you think it's, but it's not quite a list. It's it's research. It's secrets that people don't need to have on, on a transportable thing that someone can steal <laughs> and use to barter for other things. It's a list. It, okay. It may not be a list list, but it falls into the <laughs> list category. And to further that, mm-hmm. this movie is full of anachronisms that do not belong in a 1963 movie. This computer disc is the first thing. Okay. They did not have computer discs in 1963. Well, it's not really a disc. It's it's a tape. Right. But they didn't. They had reel-to-reels. Yeah, that was the thing that was sort of... I'm looking at this thing on the table, and it looks like a roll of scotch tape. It literally did. Like some kind of corrective tape that you would put on a typewriter. Right. They didn't make computers that way. And hey, 
if one of our listeners said it's wrong, tell me. Yeah. But this just, it seemed like they were trying to force it into something. Why not a micro dot? They had those. But to play devil's advocate, I will say that I recently watched an old Man From U.N.C.L.E. movie, like one of the ones where it was a TV show and they expanded it into a right. full-length movie. It was the um, One Spy Too Many. And they have some technology in there that is downright fantastical. It's just silly shit. So yeah. I kind of wonder if he's trying to walk that tightrope where he's not going that far with it. You know, it's okay. not... Because you've got these moments in One Spy Too Many where, you know, Ilya and Solo are are both holding on to these things that look like pens. And they're basically just not radios, but like almost like smartphones. Okay. But they're just pens and they're speaking into it and talking to each other across great, great distances. Okay, so the TV show itself was kind of gadgety. Yeah. It's sort yeah. of like an exaggerated James Bond kind of gadgety Very type of much, thing. Yeah. I guess in that context, maybe it makes a little more sense. Right. Still not going to stop me from picking on this movie mercilessly, though. <laughs> Some of them are pretty egregious. I'm just saying. Indeed. Yeah, the uh, vault opening equipment is kind of... Uh, that's Strangely, I didn't have that much of an issue with that one. It wasn't? Okay. Because it felt kind of analog. They had the, the regular lights on it. You know. Yeah, so there's it, a lot of mechanical gears in it. It wasn't all electronic-y. And... Right. No, I'm talking about some stuff that when you look at it, you're just like, what? Or like the microphone in her ring. That actually brings up another thing about the, the technology between the two of them, how the Russian technology was clearly superior on most things right, like to the, the English ones. <laughs> right. But the way the technology got presented may not necessarily have been the best thing. You know, in terms of I have this, but okay, fine, I have this. And, you know, so Solo would get his stuff with this little safe cracking thing that was right. significantly better than anything that Ilya had to do it with it. But I love that little kind of one-upping thing that they kept doing through the whole film. That was one of my favorite parts of the whole thing. You know, with the, it's a pair of snippers with carbon laser, you know, and he's like, what's that? And, you know, it's a carbon laser. Yeah. <laughs> so so that kind of stuff's kind of fun. Right. Although, again, a carbon laser. Yeah, the laser. Which is probably one of the things on your. <laughs> it's, it's on the list. <laughs> the list. <laughs> it's on my list. On your list. Which I guess I'm now recording for everyone to hear. So I am my own trope. <laughs> nice. <laughs> the best part of that whole scene, because really it was just them. This is your mission. Do you choose to accept it? That's where that basically was. Right. But at the end of it. Not only do their handlers leave, everyone in the cafe leaves because they were working with one side or, or the, the other. other. <laughs> They're all just watching and making sure no like bad shit goes down. Exactly. It's just the two of them there by themselves. Right. Not one guy, not four guys. Everybody. everybody. <laughs> right. That was a good moment. And then we get some of the little back and forth between them two where... <laughs> Solo goes after Ilya's mother. Yeah, exactly. He just goes right for the jugular on that oh, one. Oh, man. Brutal. He starts getting all twitchy. Right. <laughs> oh, I was going to mention as a little fun fact about the uh, the fight in the bathroom. Army Hammer and Henry Cavill, they both did a lot of their own stunts in this movie. But Army Hammer was much even more so enthusiastic about doing it. So much so that his stuntman was actually quoted as saying that he hardly has a chance to do anything because uh, he's out there doing it all by himself. Which hey, Can I just say it? Army Hammer is the number one fan of this movie. 
Oh, absolutely. From the get-go. So I'm giving 110% to this. And now he's trying to make the sequel This happen. is my franchise. Damn it. <laughs> I don't get my own solo movie like Black Widow. But wait mm. a minute. Can I have a solo movie if there's a solo in my movie? Hmm. <laughs> From there, that's about when we start heading into Act 2, yeah. where they, um, they're sort of bickering over how Gabby should be dressed. And a, a, a real quick fun fact about that, that actually is referring to an old school Man From U.N.C.L.E., the return of Man From U.N.C.L.E. from 1983, where Kuryakin took up high fashion designing after leaving U.N.C.L.E. Of course he did. Of course he did. Of course he did. And I will say the Ilya from that show, that would have made sense. Yes. Not so much so this one, but... No. (laughs) No, but from what I recall of the TV show, the Kuryakin character was sort of like the... I can never remember the guy's name, but... From Wild Wild West, you had um, Robert Conrad, and he played Jim West, and he was the hero. Mm -hmm. And then he had uh, the other guy that was like the gadget guy with the masks and the spy type of thing. Karakin was always the guy that was like, I have a little this, I have a little that. I got the gadgets. I'm going to have the really weird cover story, you know, (laughs) Yeah. because... You couldn't have Robert Vaughn being that guy because Robert Vaughn was the lead. So you need you needed Ilya there to do color. Basically. It, pretty much, he was he was a color commentary for the show. Right. But anyway, they go to Rome. To Rome. Ah, uh, Rome. <laughs> they all have cover identities. Gabby and Ilya are uh, covered as a married co- or an engaged couple, recently right. engaged. Ilya is playing a Russian architect who I. This cracked me up. Is doing study of classical architecture for what was the hotel that was going into Moscow? I mean, it was a totally capitalist sounding hotel resort (laughs) in Moscow. Sure. Um, Why not, right? (laughs) Meanwhile, Solo is playing an arts dealer, which, of course, he is suited to do because... That's what he was going to jail for. Was for was for stealing for shit. For stealing, stealing shit. Art. So so he knows what he's doing on that one. There, they get into the hotel. They get everything set up. I don't know if you notice. You well, does Waverly actually check in at that point? Because he's in the hotel. I can't remember. But oh, I don't remember seeing him. Yeah, he's in there, and I feel like he checks into the hotel because you have to get that so that you know that later on in the movie that's who she's talking to. Right. But I'm pretty sure he checks in after Solo leaves. To go do whatever he's going to do. And you don't know who he is until you see him again later. But he's there. I saw that on the second one around. So anyway, so they get into there, get everything established. Ilya and Gabby, they decide to, well, I don't know if they decide to, but they go walk the streets of Rome at night like an engaged couple would, taking in the romantic stuff. You know, Ilya's always like, if I was Russian uh, uh, architect, I would be admiring the architecture. And then he starts giving her some bullshit story about the steps with math. And she keeps checking his math facts. (laughs) Yeah, that part's kind of... So your mother gave birth at 63 or something like that? or Right. <laughs> and so, she died at the age of 132? 132, exactly. <laughs> no, she died at age 100. He was 35 when he made. <laughs> Hence, 135. Yeah, that, that was great. They, they actually had some pretty good chemistry between the two of them, considering yeah. they were the romantic leads in the movie. Right, and um, they did try and establish sort of a sexual tension between them. Yeah, some very kind of flirty but unapproachable kind of things. And always interrupted. Right, right. Just before they're going to kiss. Also something I hate. But um, <laughs> but while they're in the midst of all of this, uh, Solo comes riding up on a Vespa. 
<laughs> awesome. <laughs> because only Napoleon Solo could be dressed like that and ride up on a Vespa. Indeed, indeed. Right? And well, they, I just love how he just kind of kind of flies around, literally like a fly on the wall, just kind of zipping in and like, yep. Eh, just to let you know, you just screwed up and then bye. <laughs> right. And that was the whole point was like, you need to not be you. You need to be who they think you are. Right. And because he, not that he, I don't think he does it because he thinks that Kuryakin doesn't know that. Right. He's just already got his number and he's trying to play devil's advocate so that things don't get screwed up, which is hilarious because those guys are waiting. Right. And they go through the whole thing and it takes the ring, which by the way. Just remember, take it like a pussy. That's right. <laughs> I don't think any Italian man would steal a woman's engagement ring, no matter how desperate they were. It just doesn't feel like something an Italian person, not a man genuine. would do. No, no, not to that. Um, but Ilya's trying to hold back his normal anger tendencies. I love the bitch slap to the throat. Oh my like God. Like he just can't, it, it's like Tourette's. Bam! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really good. But, you know, she gets him reined in under control, which I think is important because I think it shows that they established that there's that chemistry between them immediately that right. he does have some interest. So she's actually able to kind of talk him through the more psychotic moments that he's trying to go through. Right. Because he's, he really is trying to, at least on some level, trying to look good for her, like trying to put out his best self for right, her. Right. At least to uh, to a small degree. And I love that line. The Russian architect would fight for wife's or fiance's yes. ring. Russian KGB agent would kill them. Right. As so a, as a way mind, to differentiate exactly. the Exactly. That was his distinction. A real Russian man would have fought regardless. A KGB agent would have just killed them. Right. So uh, he was he was dialing it back in his own <laughs> mind. Uh so they get back to the hotel. Gabby is getting plastered. Oh my god, just while while Ilya plays chess, which you find out he's like some grandmaster at the end of the movie. When you watch the little profiles that oh, they show of him, yeah, the, he's the some sort credits. of high level uh chess player. There you go. Right. And then you know she goes, turns on the music, puts on the, the Audrey Hepburn sunglasses and starts dancing to that music that probably isn't correct for Germany, but what do I know? I wasn't in Germany in sixty three. Right. Well um, maybe that I mean it could have been that whole you know, everything from the United States is exciting and it's true. So it's true. Could have been I, something I mean, like that. I would if you want to get technical about it, I think it would probably would have been more like England, but whatever. <laughs> um, but she starts dancing and you know, making the advances and Right. But oh, so you want to wrestle. And then she tackles him. It's awesome. I know. It's I actually like, like the slapping thing too when yes. they're when they're dancing and yeah, she and just, just smack smack. <laughs> He's all like, he's like kind of mad, but he's kind of like, "Mm, okay. Can't dance or won't dance. And he's like, both. Let's say both. (laughs) Right. So, I mean, honestly, I think the moments between them are probably the best moments in the movie when it's just them. Yeah. Because they were both conveying what needed to be conveyed in that scene. And this one I think was the best because that was kind of the closest they got to actually doing anything. And then she passes out. And I thought it was so, I don't want to say adorable because it's not the right way to say, but when he picks her up and carries her and she's so teeny tiny compared to him that he just, he carries her and she's got her legs wrapped around him like she's like five. Right. And he just puts her in there and then the little little thing with the hand where she doesn't quite let go of his hand. Right. And it's like, oh, it's it's so much more than this movie deserves. I know. Well, and they, they try to sort of use that as a way to speak to his character. Right. That he's not like some asshole who's going to, you know, take advantage 
message or whatever. Right. He's a gentleman. I think he starts off genuinely doing it because that's the part. This is what I would do if you were my fiance. And as they continue to go through, it's more because he's actually got some genuine interest in her. Right. Yeah. So. And then uh, meanwhile, mean, Napoleon. Meanwhile, Napoleon Solo sitting in his office or in his room, the bugs. It's the funniest thing. Oh, wait, we have to back up a little bit. What did I miss? We missed. Oh, uh, the hostess. The hostess comes in. That's right. To give uh, him, to bring in the complimentary champagne. Among other things. Yeah. (laughs) I get off in five minutes. I'm sure we can find something to do for For five five minutes. minutes. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And holy cow, that view the next morning. Yeah. Wow. It was it was impressive. Yes, goodness gracious. <laughs> All right, moving on. Anyway, so he gets up, and I don't remember how he discovered that there was a bug there. I know he pulls out his fancy Dan scanner thingy, but did he realize there was a bug, or was he just doing it for the sake of doing it? I, I think he remember. found one first, and then he pulled, because he found one, then he pulled out the scanner. That's right, because I do remember him seeing it. It looked like basically a fuse. Right. right. Well, it looked just like the one when he... From Germany. Yeah. So he gets out this little handy-dandy... <laughs> the only piece of tech that actually looked correct for the era, by the way. Yeah, for a, sure. A, some sort of a radio frequency detector. Yeah. I bought that 100%. Yeah. And then he walks over to Karakin's room. <laughs> and These he, are Russian. Russian. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on one second. And then Ilya comes back out. These are American made. And then makes a comment about how cheap they are. <laughs> See, I think that, well, I do agree with you that Gabby and Ilya's moments together are probably the best of the movie. I do still, the one upmanship that just constantly pervades the movie is definitely my second favorite thing of... Oh, yeah. The two of them had good chemistry together, too, in yeah. that kind of a adversarial, but we're on the same team kind of role. Right. So I, And they, sort of gradually coming to an understanding about one another. and Right, right. It just, those moments felt like they belonged in this movie, whereas I think some of those moments between Gabby and Ilya elevated the movie again to a point that the movie didn't deserve to be elevated Right, to. since... Yeah, we're just in a movie that's all flash and exactly. Yeah. It's like don't don't ruin this movie with good acting. What is your problem? <laughs> so anyway, they go through that. They got the bugs. Yeah, it's a very odd couple dynamic. Exactly. They move on. Uncle Rudy has invited Gabby and Ilya to go to the 50th anniversary of his employers, who own a shipping company. Yeah, this part is really confusing to me because it's a shipping company, but yet. When we see them later and they're infiltrating that building, it's a satellite factory. Right. I'm like, wait, are these not the same two? Aren't they the same companies? Well, I think I think that, or is it just like a subsidiary? I or? think like the company was much larger than a shipping company at sure. that point. It was a conglomerate, right? That started off as a shipping business. Gotcha. So I think okay. that that there's some technology that's involved with it. But they're at a party and all you see are people racing cars, right? Well, it's Italy. I know. So I'm like, is Tony Stark here? (laughs) I know he's in one of your movies. (laughs) No, no, Tony Stark. But they go in as a guest of Uncle Rudy, uh, Ilya, and uh, Gabby go in. Solo goes in under his art dealer pretense, but is immediately throwing that off to become a thief. Because that was his whole plan, I guess, to get into the whole thing. Right. 
He bumps into Waverly, steals Waverly's invitation. Uh, he goes in and starts schmoozing with Victoria, schmoozing with who Victoria's taking. He's stealing shit left and right. Right. Steals a bracelet, steals a necklace. Well, in that, that wild moment between him and the guy that was asking for oh, his ticket. Oh my gosh, yes. And he says to him in, in, in pitch perfect Italian, you know, I am not a goat and I am not your sister. <laughs> Keep your hands off me. Right. right. And then smacks him in the dick. <laughs> boink, boink. <laughs> <laughs> it's one way to get the hostess's attention, right? Indeed, yeah. <laughs> As he's fanning himself with the with, ticket, with with the invitation, right? Right, perfect. Um, and then he just so he goes on trying to captivate Victoria, pulls a little uh, the oh the, the the table trick, yeah, um, without knocking anything. Which you don't. Which is funny. You don't see it. You never see it. Well, you do. You do when Waverly points it out. Oh, in the in the flashback, yeah. Okay. Well, because what Waverly's pointing out how how quick your hands are, or whatever he says, right? Right. Um, they actually show the actual trick, but that was Guy Ritchie like, I'm not going to show you right now. <laughs> you know what he did, though, right? <laughs> and so uh, it was almost like they covered it because Henry Cavill couldn't do it, but then they're like, aha, Henry Cavill can do it. Right. Because he's Superman. <laughs> he can do anything. He can do anything. So, yeah, they go into there. Uh, Ilya meets Uncle Rudy. Rudy is incredibly rude oh to Ilya. Oh, my God. What an asshole. Yeah, it, <laughs> Holy cow. But, but It's true was, to his character. It is, because he was coming from the whole, you divided my country. You're a Russian communist jerk face that right. divided my country and, oh, by the way, beat me in the war, right? So sure. the character should have that kind of angst right. against somebody from Russia. Sure. So it's totally there, but man, that guy just played it to the hilt. Holy cow. Yeah, he was so over the top. That guy must be great at like holiday parties with his family. (laughs) I would want to, like if he was somehow connected to my personal inner circle, I would do everything in my power to avoid him. Yeah. Like he just creeps the living hell out of me. Right. And then that turnaround when they the in the third act when they put him on the chair, man, he just becomes a completely different oh, guy. He, he just turns into I'll tell you anything. Absolutely. <laughs> um so after he gets insulted to the point where he his patience and his temper can't handle it, Ilya takes a walk and goes to the bathroom. <laughs> and decides to beat the shit out of some people. Right. So <laughs> let's establish that two bathrooms, two fight scenes. Oh man. This is your favorite movie. This is the worst thing ever. <laughs> At least I didn't watch them rolling around on P floors. That's all I'm saying. Right. You never actually saw the fight. No. So it was implied what happened. <laughs> but still, was there another bathroom that they were in that there was another fight or that there wasn't a fight in? Because it seems like you only fight in bathrooms in this world. <laughs> you don't actually do what you do in bathrooms. Right. You just fight. You just fight. That's, that's all right. you do. Well, maybe if that's the world, then all the bathrooms are clean except for a little bit of blood. That's And I can deal with that because <laughs> you can see blood. That's right. You can avoid that much easier than you can other things. <laughs> I so. do love that line between Victoria and Solo where she's like, so you're a thief. So you're a thief. I like to call myself a specialist in complicated acquisitions. I hope you wear a mask. Sometimes. Just never when I'm stealing things. Such a great... (laughs) I love that line. It's pretty fabulous. So, Ilya's done. Waverly basically makes his actual introduction into things. Right. Um, Gets introduced by Victoria as being... I'm James Bond, but I'm not really James Bond. Right. Here's he my notes, company, Universal Exports. Right. But not really. British oil. Right. Um, he makes a few... 
Well, I think everything he says in this movie is a snarky comment. So he makes the first of many smart snarky comments in here about how good Solo's hands are. And oh, I was just saying, uh, well, should you do the thing with the tablecloth over there? Right. And uh, oh, yeah. And then you see the woo, look at me, I'm awesome type of thing. And it's funny because they dismiss him as not an important character. Yeah. And you would think that somebody that shows up that they would pay more attention to him. And they don't. Right. And it's Hugh Grant. It's not like they got Joe Englishman to do this job. So you know he's more than that. And again, on the second watching, seeing him in the hotel, if you're paying attention to the movie, Mm -hmm. it makes more sense. Sure. But it obviously did not on the first one. (laughs) Um, We meet Victoria's husband, Alex, who's driving his car and cursing out his mechanic. Right. And then Gabby's like, I can fix that because I'm awesome. And I'm look at my sexy, sexy leg. Exactly, here. and and Alex, being the hot-blooded Italian fellow that he is, he's like, "You can work on my engine, and then work on my engine, <laughs> if you know what I'm gonna say." <laughs> Sorry, that was a really bad Italian accent. I apologize. <laughs> um, the Alex character not terribly fleshed out. Yeah, just kind of one-dimensional. It served no purpose other than being menacing later in the yeah. film. Yeah, and even then. Not that menacing. No, because clearly the bad guy was Victoria in this. Yeah. So she was more like number two. (laughs) Or he was, I should say, to her Dr. Evil, I suppose. Um, Anyway, after this whole thing is over at the party, they go back to the hotel. Ilya has turned his bedroom into a dark room. Which is awesome. It's kind of awesome. I kind of love that. It's kind of awesome. And he comes out with the the tropey, specially treated film to find radiation, Hmm. which I'm like, isn't all film able to find radiation? Because isn't that what... Isn't that what they put on radiation badges? But okay. (laughs) Yours is treated so it still takes a picture. Okay, I'll I'll go with that. Okay, sure. Sure, why not? Sure, (laughs) why not? At which point, Solo, he tells Solo, what are we we going to do? And Solo's like, I'm going to sleep on it. And then he's not actually sleeping on it. Right, neither one of them are sleeping on it. The only person who's really sleeping on it, and actually, Gabby's not sleeping on it either, because she's talking to Uncle Rudy, and then she's talking to... And then she's talking to... Waverly. Waverly. Spoiler alert. (laughs) So we see Solo dressed up in his spy outfit. It's a very (laughs) dapper black jacket with a turtleneck, and you know, looks ever so ready to go be a spy. Very stylish. And as he's walking up to the fence of the... Satellite. Satellite manufacturing facility in Rome in 1963. Sure. I think I'm going to go ahead and take a segue here before I go any further. (laughs) Just a little history lesson for everybody. The first man-made satellite to ever orbit the Earth (laughs) was Sputnik 1 in 1957. 1957. The first commercial satellite that went up, Telstar 1, I believe went up in 1965. So, so there was no commercial use for satellites in 1963, and yet there is an Italian factory that is building sat. They had four satellites on that floor. They're way ahead of everybody, apparently. I like this would be a good cover to have this equipment in. It made sense from that standpoint, but not but for 1963. Not, yeah, nobody's building satellites, let alone a company that builds many satellites. Right. So it's a little it, suspicious. It's a little suspicious. They might have well just said they were a medical centrifuge manufacturer because at least it would have made more sense. I mean, they literally could have called it anything. Right. But a satellite? Okay, so that's... Okay, sure. All right. It's All another right. one of those things that bother me about the anachronism stuff. But anyway, yeah. I digress. 
So they go. He's at the fence of the satellite factory, right? And he's getting ready to break in, and the lights go out. And then who should happen to be there? Kiriakin. And I guess you took care of the lights. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we have about ten minutes before the power returns, shall we? Boris, <laughs> <laughs> Natasha. <laughs> and then they have the little, you know, um, pissing contest about cutting implements. Right. Right. Which, and then know, we have another pissing contest about picking locks. About picking locks. While those two guys are walking, coming from around the corner. Right. Well, you know, Kiriak, do you mind? <laughs> and he just goes in there, boom, opens the door. Boom, right. opens the door. Which, of course, when they get to the... Do you want to take a crack at the safe? Right. That'll let you handle this. Um, but which, of I mean, course, he screws up, so... Well, no, he opened it just well, fine. Well, he opens it, but then he doesn't realize, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because that would be indicative of his character. Sure. Right? If the two of them were working together, he would have said, there's probably an alarm, but they weren't at that point. They weren't gelling like they were supposed right. to. Well, but, and it was this back and forth, because first, first Ilya wins at right. the fence... Right. And then Solo wins at the door right. lock. And then Ilya wins at the locker where he knocks out the guy with the, we call it the kiss. Look like the Vulcan death grip right. type thing. Well, the whole wind up, right? <laughs> yeah. One, two, slip. Like the guy wouldn't have. <laughs> okay, sure. He'd if, be like this for 20 minutes. He'd be this for like 20 minutes. Can't touch. Can't touch. <laughs> exactly. He finds the button. They find the secret room, which surprisingly- of course, of course, the button is in that guy's locker, though. Of course it is. It's not in well, one of other- you know. We don't know that all those lockers didn't have buttons. We only looked at one. Uh, mm-hmm. uh. What surprised me, not a sliding wall, but an actual subfloor room. Right. You don't see that a lot. I, I kind of caught that. I don't know if there was a reason for it, but it was kind of fun that instead of I it just- I appreciated it. The, like yeah. the, you know, the bank of lockers sliding open. Right. Like you would almost kinda, expect to. Right. It was a little piece that was kind of unexpected that I, I appreciated. But I mean, they get down there. There's a gigantic safe. Kirokin's <laughs> like, I'm not going to open that safe. You, you, <laughs> This is your deal. You open the safe. And right. Henry Cavill's giving us the, uh, the Q explanation of how great I am. Well, I oh do all gosh. of these things, right? And the flaw was, people who designed this model are not very good at stealing things. I, however, am. As he's slowly moving the door that the camera's attached to. I do love that shot. right on hammer. I do love that shot. Yeah, that was fantastic. I do. And then the alarm goes <laughs> off. Which, you know, fine. There's nothing in there anyway. But as they're running away, he randomly finds a piece of a nuclear centrifuge. Yeah. That whole recon mission doesn't add up to a whole lot. They mm-hmm. just sort of, you know, they conveniently find this piece of a centrifuge, which... I think they run like a scanner over to detect right nuclear and they could have done the same thing you know, with radiation a, or whatever with a Geiger counter and a pen right they could have determined that that was being made. I never really understood the need for that little piece because it didn't really have much of a it didn't serve anything later on in the film right that was they saw it that was it that's right. all they and I think it kind of goes back to your argument that it was he had this scene in mind about how they would start to come together as a right. team. 
And he put it in this thing and then couldn't really tie it together. So he just sort of left he it where it yeah, was at. He, he couldn't figure out a real reason for them to invade a building. Right. So he sort of just sort of made it up. He right. just, well, they'll find a centrifuge thing, which will then prove that. That they're building nuclear bombs here. Right. Right. But they set the alarm off. They have to go running. And this is where we get another one of those anachronisms. Because I'm fairly certain the automatics that the security guards were using mm-hmm. were not around way in 1963 it's time i mean i even went on to the old interwebs there to go see what <laughs> automatic weapons look like in the late 50s and early 60s right those looked an awful lot newer than they probably needed to be which is funny considering that in act three when they're using the guns with the english guys they mm-hmm. had what looked like period appropriate automatic weapons from england that's weird i know that's really it? weird so it was almost like they couldn't get the prop master, couldn't get the right thing, so they got something kind of close. Maybe. I mean, what, what the other thing that I'm thinking about is initially I was thinking, what if it's a budget thing where, you know, they didn't have enough money to get enough period piece guns or mm-hmm. whatever, and so they just used whatever they could get that was cheap or right. free or whatever. But, I mean, if they had them in the other scene. Maybe it's where they filmed it. Maybe one scene yeah. was filmed. So I mean, maybe that wherever they filmed the island. Was not near right. where they were at before. Because seventy, know. yeah, seventy million's not a ton of money for no, not at all a movie budget. And I'm sure a lot of that seventy million went to Henry Cavill and Army Hammer. So I don't know. <laughs> One would imagine. I don't know. I'm sure nobody noticed that but me. But by this point <laughs> in the movie, all I wanted to do was nitpick things. So that's what I did. Right. The best part, though, of that whole scene is. They jump, they out, jump the out the window, window. <laughs> thinking there's water underneath them. And Army Hammer goes over, oof. And the other one follows. Yeah, oof, right? <laughs> because you look out the window, and it looks like it's water right off right. the window. Um, the boat chase ensues. The boat chase is fantastic for so many reasons. Yes. Because it shows Army Hammer finally getting caught up in his own bullshit, more or less. And he can't get out of there because he thinks he can daring do through those closing gates, and he right. can't. And Solo's like, what are you doing? Right, so eventually Solo falls off, swims to shore. So he's just going to get in a truck and go. And it perfectly defines the character in that scene. Right. Who Napoleon Solo is. Yeah. It's he's watching this guy getting chased around by a boat with machine guns. That he's supposed <laughs> to be his partner. Right. He's sitting in there, turns on the radio. Oh, look. look. Yeah. A basket full of delicious food. And wine. And wine. Pulls it out. Drinking the wine, eating a bit of tucks the doesn't want to get his black spice suit dirty, so he tucks in the napkin. Those spice suits are expensive, they man. Are expensive. Those, are, those are you know high fashion spice suits. That's right. So you can't take any chances with it. That's dry clean only. Exactly. <laughs> and probably his best acting moment in the movie, I think, as he's driving off and, he, and you can genuinely see the conflict on his face. When he changes his mind. Changes his mind and then drives a truck on the boat. That was yeah. hilarious to me. It's a good moment. And then here's what I liked. Rolls up the windows so he has a little air to breathe. Right. Right? So he has time to stay underwater right. for a little while. And so he can use the truck lights to find Army Hammer, who <laughs> conveniently is in front of him. Thank goodness. <laughs> and fortunately, Army Hammer didn't die here, so we don't have to discuss how convincing his drowning death was. <laughs> um <laughs> But it does bring up the problem that I always have with if you're unconscious underwater, you're going to drown. Yeah, I've always... You can't hold your breath if you're unconscious. I always thought that was a little weird. I don't have a lot of experience with people drowning in real life. So (laughs) I couldn't tell you, but I would assume that 
someone that you need to perform, you know, the Heimlich or whatever it is that sort of gets the water out of their lungs, mm-hmm. they're still moving around. They're still trying to get right. shit out of their system. Right. Even when they're underwater, they wouldn't just be limp, well, that, sinking to the bottom unconscious. That was my thing. It seemed to me like he'd been under long enough. If he wasn't moving, he was dead. Right. So they didn't go through that establishment scene of Solo reviving him. Yeah, well, the, he when they surface, he does that little Heimlich-type thing. Oh, yeah, that's right. And he spits up he all spits the water. spits up some water, And then right. suddenly he's breathing again. Uh, you know what? I, you're right. I don't think I remember that when I was watching it. But if that's the maneuver that saved him, it feels like he didn't put a whole lot of effort in it. So It was like two hearty tugs. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> and I'm fine. Russian, I'm fine. It's, it's all fine now. Peril. Well, <laughs> movies. Pedal, cowboy. Pedal, <laughs> cowboy. Anyway, so they leave the satellite place. They make a mad rush to the hotel. On a Vespa together. On a Vespa together. Like bosom buddies. Heck yeah. <laughs> Heck yeah. Peering around corners with one guy's head above the other. Right. I mean, it's just, it's, it's pretty it becomes humorous. very comical very quickly. Right. <laughs> And so, and they get they get back to the hotel. They're making a beeline because they've obviously determined that if they find them not in the hotel, they're going to know what they're up to. So they're trying to cover their tracks, right? Which seems like the most ridiculous reason to cover your tracks. They already know who you are, sure. But they get in there. Ilya makes a beeline. He's trying to get his box out. I don't remember who was trying to get out of the box though. He I goes was, under the bed. Yeah, what does he go in there there oh, for? Oh, he was trying to get the thing to listen to what was happening in Solo's room. That's right. That's he what wanted it was. To, he wanted to make sure. So basically, he was trying to see if Solo was going to get killed. Right, exactly. Which you know, good partner. He huh. just saved him. He, he should yeah. return the favor, right? <laughs> but Solo goes in, and this is amazing. Victoria's storming in with her two goons, you know, telling the guy, "What room is he in?" And oh, here's the key. And off they go. They're like Scooby Doo scrambling up the stairs. Exactly. <laughs> and she gets in there, and uh, you know, she opens up the door, and he comes walking out of the bathroom with the robe and the towel in his hand, toothbrush oh, in his mouth. Exactly. Oh, Victoria, hello. <laughs> And then I guess I'll shag you now. Exactly. I <laughs> Excellent. Guess, I guess that's where we're at now. <laughs> but her line to the two guys when she walks up, run away. Yeah, that's good. Run away. And then she closes it, and they're all like, "What the, what?" And then of course, Ilya's got his radio thing on there, and sure. they hear him mm-hmm. yeah. doing things. Sure. <laughs> and she's like, and Gabby's like, "I doesn't sound like you need your help at all." Right. And scene. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I should say that is it during a flashback that they show her talking on the phone to the mystery person? No, I think they cut that in with them coming back in. That's what it was. Yeah, uh, she's, she's, talk- ta- she's legitimately talking to Uncle Rudy, and then she makes the other phone call. And then you don't know who that is, right? But we know. But we know. Um, but yeah, you don't know what it is. You're just like, ooh, she's a double agent. Oh no. Um, but I forgot, yeah, they had, they kind of cut that in there with the interspersed with them doing their whole little spy thing in the satellite factory and then coming right. back in. Um, but it's important to note because it will be an important scene in Act 3, won't mm-hmm. it, Ben? It will be. Mm. All right, so now we're into Act 3, and the next day, Gabby goes to lunch with Uncle Rudy, and here's where we get... The, yeah, the, the, the weird, weird, out the weird cutting out sound thing where she starts talking and we don't know what she's saying. Right. 
But there's subtitles. Well, there's subtitles for the foreign language. Right. But not when she starts talking. Right. Which is the part that is supposed to be like, uh-oh, she's right. saying something bad. Right. But we're not privy to it just yet. Right. And then, of course, everybody reacts to it. It's just a montage of reaction shots. Right. <laughs> and then you see Ilya running down the hill away from the dogs. And Rudy suddenly has to make a phone call. And Alex just sort of sits there. I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't have a purpose until the end of this act, really. Yeah. Essentially, she gives them up, but we don't really know that right away. I mean, other than looking like buff Freddie Mercury, I guess that could have been his job. Yeah. <laughs> so in the meantime, while that's going on, Solo goes and sees Victoria again at her office. And while she's on the phone, she's like, oh, have a drink. And he goes and fixes himself a drink. And of course, it's drugged. And he's like, how did you know that I was going to choose this? And she's like, I drug them all because I'm thorough. Right. Well, and he had the best I'm drugged scene. It wasn't all flibby flobby. He's just like, I've been drugged before. Yeah. I'm, gonna I'm go, just going to lay I'm down. I'm going to lay down. I've been drugged before. This is going to get messy. So <laughs> there's no sense in fighting this. I'm going to go under. So I'm going to lay down on something comfortable and wait for this to happen. Wait for this to take hold. So yeah, so then we see Ilya running down the hill and the, the dogs are after him, but we sort of find out later that basically she did all this so that it gives him a head start so that he can escape the dogs and right. get out of harm's way ahead of right. time. So then we see Solo wake up and he's in the Nazi torture chair. Because that's Uncle, really all it is. Uncle Rudy's Nazi torture chair or whatever it was very i don't know why this is what it made me think of but it made me think of have you ever seen the girl with the dragon tattoo the version with daniel craig yes so when he's down in that torture room with the guy mm -hmm. it's the first for some reason that's the first <laughs> thing i thought of even though they're wildly different yeah when i saw it I, the first thing i thought of was marathon man which is i think what they were going for okay the whole have you seen marathon man no. So it's about uh, Joseph Mengele, played by uh, Lawrence Olivier, and uh, okay. Dustin Hoffman is the guy that exposes him. He's got him in a dentist chair because he's a dentist uh, in his new okay. life, and he's torturing him. Oh. But it's more about the suspense of being tortured initially. Right. And that's the first thing I thought, because this guy was clearly supposed to be something along the lines. Maybe sure. not the science-y Joseph Mangala, but definitely right. a torture version of that. Yeah. So that was the first thing that came into my head when I saw it. Yeah. Well, and holy cow, what a wind-up this guy has. Oh, Just yeah. having to explain everything. And With here's book. my book, and, and here's the page that you're going to go on. And, and in color. Kodachrome. <laughs> you can almost taste the colors. <laughs> Just, yeah, this... Man, just this goes overboard for me. It's just gratuitous. It's I yes. feel like this is very over gratuitous movie making going on. I feel like Guy Ritchie is just yes, I'm going to make this scene yes. that is just again another vignette that he had planned in his head. Right. That in a movie that was about this guy would have been in place. Right. Like a whole Uncle Rudy movie. We're chase chasing <laughs> Uncle Rudy. That's what the movie would be called. This would have been basically the character's final act, so he gets to sure. actually be who he's supposed to be. Right. He's unburdening himself, right. which he kind of is still doing in this movie, too. Yeah. He goes in different stages and becomes the person that he is at the end. Right. At first, he's just kind of a rude right. German guy. Right. 
And then, yeah. He opens up. He becomes loving. I'm your uncle. And right. You're like I a daughter to me. Right. And then eventually he becomes, I'm going to torture you because I'm torture Nazi. Right. I love torturing people. It it's brings me my, great joy. It's my thing. Um, <laughs> but... Again, it's out of place in this movie. To the the level he was trying to sell it at. Yeah. And in fact, I will say too, the second time I watched this movie, I actually started getting bored with all of the yes. all the dialogue that he's spitting out about did we really need all that background and like footage that looked historical about, you know, and photos, black and white photos right. of when he was still in World War II, right. and he worked for the Germans, and he was... The baby pictures! It was like, come on, do we really need... Like, this is not... You know what it is? Is basically, this isn't working. It's not right. It's not actually building anything. It's just sort of, eh, For all the effort that they put into trying to make him seem that creepy, he's not... You know what kind of movie this is already. Right. And so it's not going to work in a movie like this. Right. And it sabotages itself because at, at all the myths of this, then the equipment doesn't work. Well, and that's the, yeah. It's like you can't build that level of suspense and build this person's character up that much and then have those gag moments in where suddenly, oh, well, there's a short in the system. So now you. <laughs> right. Unless you're making a comedy and it follows along. Right. You know, the suggest couldn't find it didn't know what it was right and it wasn't able to discover it along you know what, the way you know it would have worked much better is if when they were doing all the historical stuff they would have found way to weave jokes in mm-hmm. if they could have made it funny along the entire way when they're discussing like what this this child was who didn't mm-hmm. wasn't very extraordinary and blah 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 if they found a way to make that part of it funny right it would have been far more successful than trying to make you feel icky about this guy. Right. And they could very easily have done that by actually engaging that moment in a conversation between the two of them. Right. Because obviously Solo is perfectly capable of identifying what people don't like or what what the thing that you don't want them to know about you is. Right. Because he established that with Ilya at the beginning. Sure. So there was an opportunity to drill onto that again and have him make some really bad jokes about things. Sure. And just sort of, you know, Poke and prod at him because he knew what was going to happen to him. Yeah. And you don't think solo somebody is going to go down like a punk like that. He would be talking the whole time. Oh, yeah. I mean, this was a perfect opportunity for a lot of Bond-style quibbles. Exactly. Little, you know, things to sort of hold off on the inevitable. Right. So anyway, in the meantime, Gabby gets sort of jailed, basically, or or she <laughs> she ends up meeting her father, and then they're supposed to work together to build the, I don't know, finish building the nuke or whatever. This is where right. things really get messy and start to fall apart. I don't even buy the whole idea that they would even let her work with her dad. Precisely. It's like, why would you even do that? It's, you. She obviously can't be trusted. She was just working with two agents from two different countries. Right. You don't know anything about her. Why would you yeah. let her suddenly work with her dad? With her dad. Who, at the end of the day, she's an auto mechanic, not a rocket scientist. Right. Exactly. What is she going to bring to the table anyway? Right. The only thing that she's good for is bargaining. It's a bargaining chip. As a well, bargaining chip. Basically. And they brought her in kind of as a we need you need to motivate your father to get this stuff right. done. Type. And they could have always used her. As like, well, we're going to kill her if you don't finish building this nuke or right. whatever. Which seems like your more traditional bad guy way of doing things rather than, let's just let them have some fun frolicking together. Right. So he finishes building it or whatever, and then immediately they kill him. 
Right. Which is kind of expected. And somewhere in here, we discover that there's another nuke. I think it's when they're on the plane. Well, there's a nuke and then there's a conventional warhead bomb. That That's what he's working on. That's right. That's right. The nuke right. is already completed. And the second bomb is just a MacGuffin for the end of the movie. Sure. That makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. If this second quote unquote nuke is a nuke or whatever, but it's not nuclearized yet and it's just sort of used as a diversion so that people go after the wrong one right but it's like why would you why why would you force them at gunpoint to finish it if it's not the real thing right and you already have the one that you're going to use precisely so it it, unless there was some bait and switch that maybe we missed in the movie where he was working on the nuke and but they lost track of it somewhere and they realized the one they had wasn't it I don't know because, like I said, this whole thing <laughs> this whole thing is a hodgepodge of no sense. Yeah. At all. Why is there a lens involved in this? What does a lens have to do with two Nuclear. rockets tracking one another? Yeah, I. Because honestly, uh, but make sure to put the right lens in now. Exactly. Mm. The technology even existed in '63 where they could pair large intercontinental missiles to do what they're saying that it does. Right. Right. But why do you need to have a traditional one? Why would that mechanism even be in the fake one? Yeah. What is the point? And of why would it be it? so important to make sure that he finishes it? Correct. So. And puts the correct lens in. Right. Do you they, need to follow up a nuke with a conventional and bomb? And how come she knows that it's the wrong lens? Was yeah. she watching on CCTV and or, saw that he made the switch? Right. I don't know. Maybe she's just really good at her job. <laughs> She seemed like she had everything covered till she the was, last five yeah, minutes. Yeah. She was a good villain, actually. She actually was. Yeah. Certainly better than Alex. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm so <laughs> bored with him. I was really bored with him. If he'd have had him. metal teeth, he might have been more interesting. Well, you know, seven feet tall. Exactly. Yeah, there, there you go. <laughs> um, so anyway, in the meantime, Ilya saves Solo because he Solo hadn't found one of the trackers inside his shoe. Right. So he saves Solo and Rudy ends up dying on his own electric chair, which is kind of funny. It is funny. Where they're talking and then just behind them, it catches on fire and then they both turn and see it. It's it's lazy, but it's funny. Yeah, exactly. It's not like it wasn't an expected moment, but they did play it off pretty well. So what do you think we should do? Just give me a minute. He fixed the glitch. Damn. I left my jacket in there. So they leave on the ship. Waverly lands in a helicopter with his commandos. They end up flying to the aircraft carrier that Kiriakin's never seen before. Right. (laughs) And then for being a special agent, you're not having a very special day. (laughs) So so that's when they discover that uh, Gabby is working as a British agent. And then they're all, you know, so <laughs> it's it's messy. This is so messy. It really is. So then at this point, they're getting their orders, but they're separate orders. They're each on their own little radio while they're in the airplane. And they're each basically getting told the same thing. Get the tape. And if you have to kill the other, kill the American or slash kill the Russian. Right. So, and then of course, tension. Mm. And then anyway... <laughs> So from there, 
Then we get the whole commando... Commando montage! The commando bum rush. And holy cow, you know, earlier in the movie, they do use the whole split screen, slidey box Mm -hmm. type thing going on. And it works then. This time... It is so long. It just goes on and on yeah, and, it, and Because on. it's all in the dark and there's lots of flashing lights and all of that other stuff, right. it's very hard to follow. And I, could, I couldn't remember if that was something that the, the TV show did with slidey montages. It was kind of a thing that they did with 60s kind of adventure it, shows. It is very... They definitely were trying to harken back to that style, but it also went on way too long. Yeah, and was completely unnecessary. I mean, within the first... Three seconds of that montage, you knew exactly what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. You knew that they were bum rushing the island. They were going to go find Gabby. They were going to try and stop everything. Right. And instead, it went on for what felt like a minute or two yes. of just slidey boxes and commandos rushing here. <laughs> Ilya's going this way. Solo's going this way. And after about 20 seconds, I really didn't care. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was ridiculous. But... Period accurate weapons. Yay! Yay! However, not period accurate four by four thing that he finds under oh a tarp. Oh my god, yeah. The dune buggy or whatever that, yeah. that solo's driving. Yeah. Do you know what dune buggies look like in the 1960s? Not that. <laughs> they look like Volkswagen bugs. Yeah. That's why they call them dune buggies. Because uh. that's what they built them <laughs> off of, was they took Volkswagen bodies off and turned them into four-wheel drives. This thing looked like it had just rolled off of like... I don't know, some kind of show. That on, thing was definitely made by Polaris. Yeah. Or <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was super. They tried to make it look low tech, but what it was just was not something that existed yeah. in anybody's brain in until, 1963. It, something like that didn't exist until at least the 70s or 80s. Probably. Probably maybe the 90s, yeah, actually. I, I'm pretty sure I can order something like that from right somebody now. right now. Yeah, for sure. So that even got me looking at the Land Rover because I'm like, well, is it a period Land Rover? Then you're like, how do you tell, right? Cause yeah, because they, they've looked the same forever. Right. But, I mean, <laughs> it had the right front grille and everything on it. But the inside of it almost looked like it was one of the newer Defenders. And I'm like, the, please tell me they didn't do something that egregious. <laughs> so they at least tried to balance it out. And that was actually kind of a cool chase scene. It was a cool chase scene. So, yeah. So Gabby gets shuttled away, or I think she goes off on the airplane with Victoria. Mm-hmm. No, no. She's well, no she's, a, that's right. She's well, in the car with Alex. Yeah. So she's in the car with Alex, which I'm guessing that's Alex's way of having leverage. Maybe he was trying to, knowing that they would follow. Right. If, they, follow, if they followed her, him, that way Gabby Victoria. Time, or Victoria time to, to, to do what she needed to do. With the real bomb. Right. So yeah. So this, the chase scene is pretty cool. You know, you've got dune buggies and motorcycles. And, Water. And, the fording scene was pretty great in the Land Rover. Yeah. You know, because she's almost drowning from the water because it's so high. Right. And of course, like, fact check. They didn't have snorkels like that. Yeah, they did. I, I take it back. They did. Even <laughs> in World War II, they had them on Jeeps that could go that deep. So technically, it's correct. <laughs> so yeah, we've got this cool scene. Although I will say, I was struggling to... I mean, I know it's an island and it's a fairly large island, but the geography was really... I I kept shaking my head like, wait, where is this on the island? Because it felt like the island was almost completely dominated by the building. Right. It didn't seem like there was this vast amount of land Mm -mm. set up for this giant chase across land and sea. Right. Well, it, (laughs) it looked like a little island that people would own that was shaped like a moon. 
Right. Right? Something you could drive from, you could probably walk from one end to the other in an hour. Right. And somehow they're chasing across miles. Exactly. And a high-speed four-wheel drive chase where there didn't appear to be really any elevation changes whatsoever. (laughs) Right. Let alone... Cliffs. Cliffs. Sea cliffs. And generally flora that doesn't usually find in an Italian island in the Mediterranean. (laughs) So maybe I think I see maybe where you're coming from on this. It's a little suspect. Yeah, yeah. Or a lot. But we did get some more of them Richie rainbows during that fight. Yeah. The water cascading over. Right, right. Oh, look, it's a prism. (laughs) (laughs) So initially, Ilya comes in on the motorcycle, tries to do something, and he gets knocked off. Right. And then Solo comes in with the dune buggy. And he mouths the words, hold on right. to Gabby. And then he bumps them and they all tumble. And surprisingly, neither Gabby nor Alex die in that violent rollover crash. Right. In a in a car with 1963 uh, car standards. Yeah. And not even, it would have only had <laughs> lap belts at that point. <laughs> but, you know, movies. Movies. So they save Gabby and Solo gets the tape and sort of pockets it. Uh-huh. Just <laughs> didn't see that. And then Waverly shows up to, you know, give them care. You know, right. He's pick like, him the, up. pick him up and give Gabby some, you know, first aid or whatever. Right. So then they end up on this boat to somehow find Victoria. Mm-hmm. And this brought out so many eye rolls in me while I was watching this. This is, I'm <laughs> just like, oh, come on. So first, apparently to thanks to Solo's apparent photographic memory they know what boat they're on because he remembers exactly from the photographs that he looked at when he was you know and it's just oh i just put three and three together and got seven and this is the name of the boat and that's the one and suddenly we know exactly where the boat is and we're gonna sail out there and now we've figured out everything it's just it does seem silly yeah because it almost feels like i don't know if I was the writer of this Hollywood blockbuster, <laughs> I might have just had the harbor master do an open broadcast and had him openly taunt her until she responded. Right. Rather than Which the you could have easily done. Right. So to the do 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 I see this half of the name. There's the other half of the name. Jazz flute. <laughs> exactly. So then they communicate with the boat captain. And that's when Solo starts to taunt Victoria before she finally starts talking back to him. And they, you know, just long enough so they can figure out exactly where it is. And meanwhile, while he's talking her up, they coordinate sending the other missile to hit the missile that she's got. Right. And and then right at the end of their little back and forth, he's like, oh, well, you've got about 30 seconds. And then people start jumping off the boat and then boom. Right. And I eye rolled a third time. Yes, well, so <laughs> so many more eye roll opportunities. Yeah, again, this third act, this is just where everything sort of. Well, and that whole part with Solo talking on the walkie mm-hmm. was the strongest part of that whole third act. Yeah, because it's everything that Solo is. Again, he should have been taunting Rudy. Yeah, in the electric that's, chair. That's what he does to gain leverage on people. Right. He finds out what that little thing is if that they drives him nuts. Yeah, if they would have exploited that more through the whole movie. Yeah, I think the character would have felt a lot more developed. But, I mean, that was really, it was, I guess it was really like his consolation. Because Ilya kind of gets the girl. Right. Solo has to kind of get the win. Sure. So he, he ends up looking like the smarty pants who sort of wins everything. And right. 
because that's really his superpower in this thing is that he's a talker. Ilya's the doer. Yeah, and together they're that's why they're they're a talking doer. Talk. <laughs> they're a talking doer. Indeed. So then we get the final little scene where Solo's in his hotel room and Ilya comes by and he sees the tape on his bed and Solo sees that Ilya sees the mm-hmm. tape. And so he plays on his feelings and he's like, oh, you know, just when Ilya's about ready to reach for his gun, Solo turns around and he's got uh, his father's watch which he had recovered when they were doing... During the commando raid. So the point of the raid was to get the watch, <laughs> aside from getting Gabby. Right. So that which we should point out, I think we missed this earlier, watch. when they get mugged at the beginning of the movie, they, they take Ilya's watch, which is his dad's watch. And right. it, we probably should have said at that point so that we could tie it all together at the mm, end. Yes. But uh, Solo realizes that while they're running through the commando, that they, one of the idiots that mugged him was there, realized what the watch was and took it. Yeah. And that's the peace gesture. Yes. Doesn't so reach for the gun. He, he reaches, reaches for, for the, the watch. watch. And he throws him the watch and he's like, oh, here. And suddenly he's like, oh, I don't know if I want to kill him now. Exactly. So Seems like decent fellow. I shouldn't kill him now. <laughs> so then Gabby comes in at some point. Oh, there's that whole little scene too where Gabby and Ilya have Oh, the that goodbye. Before that where- right. Where there's, again, more sexual tension and... The, well, they almost consummate it. Yeah. And then, of course, somebody comes in and breaks it up because right. that's what is supposed to happen in this movie. Right. Every they're, single they're, time. They're not supposed to. Right. Because, well, I think they're trying to save the will they, won't they, if there was a sequel. Sure. Because, you know, everybody knows that once they kissed, moonlighting was over. <laughs> Ask your parents, kids. <laughs> Oh man, I almost quoted it too. Like after you said moonlighting, I'm like, no, nah, I'm, I'm not. I'll just we'll save that for another day. Um, so then they all wind up on the uh, on the patio on the patio, and they decide, you know what? Let's just burn this stupid tape, which is clearly not an actual data tape of any kind. It's nope. just scotch tape. So let's set it on fire. <laughs> so <laughs> nobody so, gains world dominance, right? Waverly thinks it's a good idea. Indeed. And then he springs it to them that they are now under his care and that he is now forming the United Network Command for law and enforcement. Correct. That's a mouthful to remember, actually. Not not quite the strategic homeland intervention (laughs) enforcement. Uh, Is it... Yeah, law enforcement, something, something. I, you know, I never remember the new one from the movies. All I remember is the old one from the comics, which is the Supreme Headquarters for Intelligence and Enforcement Law Enforcement Division. Oh, S.H.I.E.L.D.? Yeah, S.H.I.E.L.D., yeah. exactly. <laughs> it's a mouthful to try and remember. Well, and that was the funny thing about Iron Man was the joke that we're with the strategic homeland. That's a mouthful. Yeah, we're working on it. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, and. We have Uncle, and, and so uncle. begins Uncle. Although you have to note that if you watch the end credits, when they start showing the dossier stuff mm-hmm. on all the main characters, there's some interesting information that's in those, mm-hmm. if you watched it. Um, they note that Waverly was a drug addict and an alcoholic in, yeah. the, in the file. And wasn't one of them a judo champion or something like yeah, that? Yeah, uh, Ilya was Ilya a judo, was the champion, judo champion and ju- uh, chess master. They show uh, like a Solo's military career. And, right. And, you know, Gabby's was the funniest. Talented auto mechanic and driver. <laughs> I'm like, wait a second. She added way more than being an auto mechanic and a driver in this movie. Right. But okay. It did say she was a ballerina, though. Hmm. <laughs> in those things on there. So... 
I, is it terrible to say that the beginning credits and the end credits were more interesting than the movie? No, come on. I think they were. You mean as far as who those characters were? Yes. Uh, that Okay, that I agree with. I, I think if they would have fleshed out all the things that were in the beginning and end credits and made use of them. Right. Yes. Because Waverly was, like I said, I think he's the best character in the movie. Right. And completely underused. Maybe he needed to be because it wasn't about him. It was about the other two. Sure. But well, you get none can, of his backstory. Yeah, because he can eat scenery up. Oh, God, yeah. So. Well, he, yeah, I mean, as far as an actor goes, there's Hugh Grant and then there was everybody else in the movie. Right. Although Jared Harris, had he not been trying to be something he obviously wasn't, is probably in that same league. Yeah, he was definitely trying to be a stereotype in exactly. this movie. Well, so was the guy playing the Russian handler. They hired him because he looked like Boris Badenov and yeah. sounded like Boris Badenov. There was no... In fact, I think that guy played a Russian cosmonaut in something I watched a long time ago. Because I think he's Russian. I mean, literally, he's not playing a Russian. He is a Russian. Right. But, yeah, that was the movie. Yeah. Army Hammer wants a sequel. That's not going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen, no. Army. I really don't think it's going to happen. So I was going to go over final thoughts, but I feel like I've covered most of it. It's pretty much exactly what you would expect to see when you hear that Guy Ritchie made a Man from Uncle origin story movie. <laughs> you know? It's, exactly. It's got tons of style, lively action, and some really funny moments, but it also loses tons of points for a lazy, unoriginal plot, a few really overindulgent filmmaker moments where he's just set on doing these little vignettes. That being said, I do still like, I mean, maybe maybe now I need a break from it just because we have done a review of it and I've watched it twice, you know, in a very short period of time. Mm -hmm. But I do still find it entertaining if I don't dig too deep. Just because it is so stylish, I let the fun stuff overtake all the problems that this movie has. Sure. And I, I can still enjoy it. From time to time, I just, I'm going to need a break for at least a good five yeah, years it, from this. It's definitely a movie that you need about 10 years in between watching. You remember why you need to have 10 years in between watching it. <laughs> and Alicia Vikander is very easy to look at. Yeah. So I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. So yeah, that's that. Join us next time on Central Intelligence Cinema for a review of True Lies. Ah, Get to the chopper. Yeah, That's what gonna, we are going the, to do. Yeah, you're going to have to watch me be a spy. My name is Harry Tasker. <laughs> it's not. It's not a, it's it's not a, a tumor. It's a snow cone machine. <laughs> it's, it's, an, it's a snow cone maker. Going to do it. Dana! <laughs> oh, man. This is going to be a mess. Uh, I'm going to love it. Indeed. And with that, I'm Ben. And I'm Jason. And the CIC will return with more missions, more martinis, and more mayhem. Mayhem.